Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our psalm today is 52. And some of the psalms, you'll know, have these very specific headings at the top of the psalms uh, to to tell you when this was written. And this one um, has a very specific heading, Psalm 52. It says, When Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told, told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Now, if you don't know who Doeg is, and if you don't know who Ahimelech is, do not worry. I had to look them up as well uh, to find out what the setting was. And look, it's a remarkable story. And it's a really important story, and it really shapes uh, how we should read and understand this psalm. So let me tell you the story. It's, the story's kind of spread across uh, chapters one. 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. So it's a bit long for, for the habit as a whole reading. You can go back and read it later. But I'll just sort of tell you roughly uh, how the story goes. It goes like this. David is on the run from Saul. David is the one that God has chosen to be the king. He's, uh, he's already killed Goliath. He's been anointed by Samuel. Uh, he's going to be the next king. But Saul, who is the current king, is jealous of him and has decided that he wants to kill him. So David and a few of his sort of faithful followers are on the run. And the first place they go is to the high priest Ahimelech and to the tabernacle. They didn't have a temple at that point, but there was a tabernacle. And they went there and Ahimelech welcomed David because David was an important man and he gave him a good welcome. And, uh, and he let David have some of the special bread from the tabernacle. And he also let David take Goliath's sword, which had been kept at the tabernacle. And then David and his men went off. The trouble is, though, that there was a man called Doeg, the Edomite, at the tabernacle then. Uh, He was a foreigner, an Edomite, but he was was a a servant of Saul. So that's why he was around. And, um, And he doesn't cause David any trouble there. But what he does is once David has left, he then goes to Saul and tells him everything. He told Saul how Ahimelech, the priest, had helped David. And Saul was furious. He was a very angry man, a very angry king. And Saul summoned Ahimelech and all of his family and all the people that worked at the tabernacle. And he said to them, how dare you help David? And Ahimelech said, well, we didn't know. As far as we were aware, David's a good guy, one of your important people. We just thought he was here uh, for, for ordinary reasons. We had no idea he was fleeing from you. But Saul, he will have none of it. And Saul, in his anger, orders that Ahimelech be killed. Now, none of Saul's soldiers are willing to do that. They wouldn't dare kill the high priest. And they certainly wouldn't dare kill a clearly innocent high priest. So who steps up? Doeg the Edomite. And he, uh, he kills Ahimelech. And he kills the 85 people who came with him, his family and his co-workers in the tabernacle. And he's not done then. He goes to the hometown of Ahimelech and he kills Everyone there, men, women, children, all the animals, the cattle, the donkey, and the sheep, it's carnage. Doeg, the Edomite, does it all. You know, he's potentially one of the most wicked men in the Bible. One man escapes from Doeg. He is Abiathar, the son of the high priest. 
And he flees and he goes to David. And he tells David the story and David is devastated. And David is so apologetic for what he has caused to happen. And, and he says to Abiathar, just stay with me. I will keep you safe. So that's the story. It's a terrible story, isn't it? Horrendous when you think about it. And so I'd like you to imagine now being in that band of followers with David. And you've heard all that happened. And David, that evening he goes and he writes a song because David is a musician at heart. And he writes a song to express how he's feeling. And he comes back to you and, and you're all sat around the fire. So sad at everything that's happened. So confused and afraid. Wondering what's going to happen to us. Is justice ever going to happen for Doeg? You're wondering, and then David comes and he performs the following psalm, Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people and I will hope in your name, for your name is good. So how do you think they would have felt listening to that? I think it might have been an encouragement, a strengthening of their confidence. We're here with the future king, and he's very confident that we're going to be okay. God is going to make things right. I think this psalm shows the confidence of the king and his people can join in. It's confidence that the wicked won't win, but the faithful will flourish. They're going to be our two points for today. The wicked won't win and the faithful will flourish. But first we should just think about what this means for us. What's the connection with us? I think this lands for us when we feel maybe we're in the wrong camp. Thinking being a Christian isn't such a good idea. Following Jesus is going to be really hard. And particularly because wicked people get so powerful. They seem to get away with it. Perhaps a few examples. In Nigeria this year, so many Christians have been killed. 3,500 in the 200 days since the 1st of January butchered by Islamic terrorists, hacked to death, and nothing seems to be done about it, not in Nigeria and not in the wider world. You, you've barely seen it in the news. 
like Doeg, evil people delighting in killing faithful people and nothing being done about it. Richard prayed for Afghanistan. I dread to think what's going to happen to the Christians there in the next few weeks. Or more uh, generally, many countries face state corruption. Bad people become powerful people and ordinary folk suffer. Christians see, but they're powerless to do anything about it. It happens all over the world. Or in our culture, people lie and they get away with it. People lie and they advance because of it. It's all too common in our politicians, but also in our own workplaces. They got the promotion, but I know they're a liar and a cheat. Or at school or university, it's the bully, the gossip, the liar who becomes really popular. People gather to them. Why is that? Why doesn't being a good person get you friends? Why is it so hard for Christians to make friends? It all makes us wonder, doesn't it? Are we sure we're in the right place? Is following Jesus going to work out? I guess the discouragement could also come from within the church. As Christians, we get disillusioned by the behavior of other Christians. Rich Christians show no care for poor Christians. Powerful Christians causing hurt by their words. Leaders letting people down. And we think, is this really what I signed up for? So for whatever reason, this psalm is for those feeling despondent. Like those gathered around David, hearing the terrible news of Doeg, thinking, how will we cope? Well, the king wrote this psalm in the darkest of situations to encourage people that it will be okay in the end. We'll see as two areas of confidence. Confidence that the wicked won't win and confidence that the faithful will flourish. So first, the wicked won't win. This is the bulk of the psalm up to verse seven. Verse one, why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Doag, he's so proud of what he's done. He's so defiant. He's so twisted. But he's a disgrace in God's opinion. And that's what matters. Verse two, you who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. David focuses in on the wicked words of Doeg. And that might be surprising, you know, not the murders. But the fact is, it all starts here. He would have lied to David when he met him. Perhaps said, oh, your secret's safe with me. And he certainly gave a twisted account of the truth as he told Saul. And the high priest died for it. His words reap harm like a sharpened razor. You see those little blades that the barber has? So small, you think, what harm could they do? But they're so sharp. So sharp they could slice your throat. Oh, just some words, nothing too serious, but they can cut people to pieces and they literally did hear the words of someone who loves evil rather than good led to the murder of many people. 
And isn't it the words of the powerful today that cause such harm, that start the harm? Some promises made, some promises broken, and who bears the cost? Someone weaker, someone poorer. Psalm 50, two weeks ago, it showed us that it's words that really convict us. Our words are slippery, aren't they? We can use our words to twist the truth to make it uh, beneficial to us. But if it's beneficial to us, it's probably harmful to someone else. But the wicked won't win. Verse 5, surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Doag will get what God has coming for him. Down to everlasting ruin. That's the depths of hell. You'll be sleeping in your tent one night and the mighty one will reach in and yank you from this life. Like a tree that looks so strong, the storm will come and uproot you completely. And like those who look at the surprising devastation the day after a storm, the righteous will look at him. Verse 6, the righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you saying, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. The righteous, those in the company of David, the believers, they will see what happens in the end. And, and we will laugh of the folly of the wicked, to think you could ever trust your status and your wealth and get away with destroying others. The wicked won't win. And we've got to believe this. We've got to believe this. It's another case of believing the promises of God rather than what seems to be in life around us. Living by faith in what we hear, not what we see. So we should not fear, we should not be envious. The Islamic militants, the corrupt leaders, the liars at work, the bullies at school, even the deceivers in the church, their downfall is coming. Following the king will lead us into dark places. There are plenty more examples in the life of David. and We've got to be ready for those dark places as we follow Jesus too. Will seem powerless and at a complete loss in the face of evil, but they won't overcome us. They will receive their judgment in the end, and the faithful will flourish. I do need to say a word on time scale. When will this all happen? But let's finish the psalm first and then consider that. So, secondly, the faithful will flourish. That's verses eight and nine. The faithful will flourish. Verse eight, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. David, he sings for himself and he says, I'm not gonna be like Doeg. I will trust in God's unfailing love. And that means he won't give in to evil. He will do what is good as much as he can. And he draws his people in, doesn't he? 
He's praising in their presence his fellow faithful people, his fellow outcasts on the run. They'd be killed in an instant if Doeg found them or if Saul or any of their other enemies. But David sings to them and he gives them confidence that here with God, the faithful people will flourish. Flourish like an olive tree in the house of God. I doubt many of us have olive trees in our garden. If you do, let me know afterwards. I've uh, enjoyed looking them up on the internet this week. They're a sort of Mediterranean tree. They're in places like Italy and Greece. Obviously, they were in Israel as well. A hot, dry climate. Yet these trees, they grow really well. They grow big and they produce this wonderful, precious crop, olives. Catherine's uncle lives in Greece and he has an olive tree. He gathers his own crop and he takes his olives down to the community wine press and he he presses them and he bottles them up and he gives it out for Christmas. It's lovely stuff. For David and his men to find an olive tree full of fruit, it would be such a treat. And that is the picture that David chooses. Rather than the, the tree uprooted in the storm, he's thinking of an olive tree full of fruit. And that's how he will describe his faithful people. We should not fear. We should not be envious. Rather, we should be quite excited by what God has in store for us. If our trust is in the right place now, in God, not our wealth or our status, then we will flourish like an olive tree. What does it mean to flourish like an olive tree? Trees flourishing is a wonderful, regular, repeated picture in the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, it was full of wonderful trees, wasn't it? Even the tree of life. The tabernacle or the temple, it wouldn't have actually had a tree growing within it. But there were tree images everywhere. The the lampstand was designed to look like a tree. There There was images of trees all over the curtains and fruit. And and Psalm 1, which sets the pattern for all the Psalms to come, it describes believers like a tree planted by water. It's just the perfect picture. A healthy, growing, fruitful tree. And the point is that life lived with God is life lived how it should be. And it will produce the best possible life. Clearly, the Bible talks of times of darkness and distress for the believer. That's undeniable. But it also talks of peace in the hard times. For those who know God, peace in the darkness, a surprising joy, even when life is so distressing, like a tree in the dry land with sources of water hidden deep below the land. And the Bible talks of flourishing as as growing in character. The Holy Spirit brings out fruit in our lives. You know the fruit, fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we become the person God would have us be. We become people who are such blessings to others. Maybe not immediately the most popular person, but for those who can see it. Such a valuable person. And ultimately, we're talking about eternal life. It's in eternal life that the wicked will finally receive their judgment. 
And it's an eternal life that the faithful will flourish from this life into the next where that life will be perfect and lived in the house of God right there with him. Oh, for sure the wicked look like they've got the best of it right now. But that's our future. We've got the future. We've got eternity. And we should be excited about that. This psalm shows the confidence of the king, the confidence that the wicked won't win and confidence that the faithful will flourish. But as we close, let me just ask one more question. How can he be so confident? On what grounds could David speak like this? Is it just insubstantial, motivational talk to get the troops going, but on closer inspection, there's nothing there? Where's his confidence Well, his confidence comes in two connected ways, I think. First, it comes from the character of God. The last line of this psalm, and I will hope in your name, for your name is good. In the Bible, names and character are connected. So if you say someone's name is good, you mean that their character is good. So those who pursue good will be on the side of God. But those who love evil rather than good will have to face him in the end. So he's confident because of the character of God. But he also has a unique grounds for confidence because David has his own promises from God. Do you know God had promised to make David king one day? So he knew that throughout all this early suffering, all this opposition and rejection, he knew that one day he would be made king. He had to be made king because God had promised it. So Doag would never be able to kill him. Saul would never be able to kill him. It just could not happen because God had promised that he would be king. And that confidence could trickle down to his people, couldn't it? He said to the son of the high priest, come and stay with me because you'll be safe with me. And he could be confident because he knew David was going to be the king. That's where his confidence comes from. Confidence because of the character of God and confidence because David is the future king. And I hope maybe you can see where I'm going. See where our confidence is then. Our confidence is also in the character of God. He is good. He's on the side of those who do good. And he's against those who love evil more than good. We do not need to be envious of the wicked. We do not need to be jealous of them. But the specific confidence is ours too. Because Jesus is the future king. It's been promised that he will be the king of the whole universe the perfect, eternal king of everyone. David's reign came to an end. He died, and the kings after him were not as good as him, and in the end, wicked people came back to power. But that will never happen with Jesus. He will be the king forever. He is confident of it, and that can trickle down to us. We can be confident as well. Life may be wild, scary, uncertain, disappointing, But he says, with me, you'll be safe. They will not overcome you. The church will not be defeated, not from enemies outside or corrupt people inside. You will flourish. And one day, we will all be there together, rejoicing in the house of God, knowing that good did come out on top. Jesus is the king. He's confident, and we can share in that confidence with him.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness and thank you for your promises to us in Jesus. And so, Lord, we hand over all these situations into your hands, all these dark, horrible situations when we are powerless to stop evil. We entrust them all to you and we long to see you do good and we ask that you might help us flourish. In Jesus' name. Amen.